We are a nation of regulations, a land of rules made by political fools. But here at Raw Law, you will learn the laws you can use and the laws that amuse. In New York, for 40 years, I've represented every type of client, from regular guys to top-level wise guys, so this ain't my first rodeo. We'll get to today's podcast in half a tick, but first, a brief and very necessary disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and does not offer specific legal advice for your situation. For that, you need to get your own lawyer in your jurisdiction. No attorney-client relationship is created by this podcast. And you're listening to this podcast is your agreement with and acknowledgement of that fact. And welcome to episode 33 of Raw Law, Share and Share Alike, where we discuss the necessity and requirements of a shareholder's agreement. For this one, you're going to want to take notes. Whenever two or more individuals are joined as co-shareholders in a corporation, that union should be memorialized in a written agreement That details the rights and obligations of each party with respect to the ownership and management of the corporations and to each other. This episode will explain why a written agreement is important, even essential, and what a comprehensive agreement should cover. Co-owners don't always agree on everything, and sometimes they wind up at each other's throats in a commercial litigation courtroom part. That can be very expensive and might just be the catalyst that ends the corporate enterprise. Without a properly drafted agreement where shareholders cannot agree on key corporate issues, there is a risk of one of them commencing an action for judicial dissolution, which orders the sale of the corporate assets and eviscerates the ownership interests of the shareholders who cannot agree to disagree. A comprehensive shareholders agreement should enumerate the rights and obligations of the parties and establish a procedure for dealing with certain contingencies. More specifically, your agreement should address the day-to-day duties of each shareholder, the administrative details of the business, the procedures where there is to be a partial or total transfer of shares to a third party, the protocol for dealing with the death or disability of a shareholder, the procedures for regular review, and if needed, the revision of the agreement. We will deal with each of these in this episode. Let's talk about co-shareholder duties and obligations. The agreement should be as specific as possible as to each shareholder's duties and of equal importance. The permission or prohibition of outside business interests should be detailed. When negotiating and drafting the agreement with respect to corporate responsibilities of shareholders, the following should be determined. The time commitments to the duties of each shareholder. The services to be performed by each shareholder. Designation of the financial responsibilities of corporate management to be performed by each shareholder, i.e. capital investment, loans to the business, accounts payable and receivable handling. Hiring and firing of employees and management of workers, liaison responsibilities with respect to local, state, and federal government entities and officials, and miscellaneous duties with respect to corporate operations. It is not unusual for co-shareholders to have existing outside business interests prior to coming together, nor it is unusual for them to later seek to obtain such outside interests in addition to and apart from their corporate responsibilities. It is crucial that these issues be dealt with in the agreement 
because depending on the active or passive nature of the outside endeavors, co-shareholders' corporate responsibilities and duties may be impaired and encroached upon. Thus, with respect to this issue, the agreement should specify the outside time commitments permissible with respect to outside businesses, the definition and prohibition of competing outside interests, the prohibition or limiting of investments in outside business interests, where same might interfere with the capital investment requirements to the corporation. With respect to corporate administration, the agreement should also cover the administrative deals of the corporation. Selection should be made with respect to corporate bank accounts, physical location of the business, if not virtual, signatory requirements for expenditures above a certain limit, selection of professional advisors, accounting, insurance, legal, details regarding meetings, bylaws, quorum requirements, and voting rights. With respect to the above, banking selection is important due to the ever-changing fee and deposit requirements of institutions with respect to business accounts. Physical location of the business can be paramount where the corporate purposes deal with retail services and goods. Requiring that more than one shareholder sign off on expenditures beyond the selected limit helps prevent the risk of shareholder financial malfeasance, and the selection of advisors in matters of corporate governance can impact on both the operation of the corporation and its compliance with state and federal tax and legal requirements. Regarding shareholder compensation, the aim of a business corporation, obviously, is to earn money and create profits for the shareholders. Therefore, the agreement should specify any salaries and benefits to be paid to the shareholders when such commence and under what circumstances such might be reduced or suspended regarding shareholder illness or disability. In the event a shareholder becomes ill or disabled, so that he cannot perform his assigned duties to the corporation, the agreement must make a determination as to when such circumstances give rise to a forced sale of the disabled or ill shareholder's interests in accordance with the agreement's sale provisions. These issues regarding a forced sale should be as specific as possible and should cover the definition of illness or disability as it impacts shareholder duties in a forced sale, the period of time which such illness or disability can last prior to the triggering of a forced sale provision. The parameters of the sale as far as price, payment, terms, security for any debt financing in accordance with, or if agreed, in variance with the normal share transfer requirements. The conditions under which the shareholder's shares may be offered to a third party. Once again, depending on the nature of the corporate business and the duties assigned to shareholder, Illness and disability might not interfere with essential duties, or it might make the performance of them impossible. The duration of such illness or disability needs to be covered, as we said before, in order not to prematurely force a shareholder to transfer his shares, where a possible recovery would obviate the need to do so. Where a sale is required, with an eye towards the financial realities of the corporation and the agreed-upon transfer of share parameters, the method and duration of payment for shares must be specified, and any security for a portion of the sales price that is financed must be determined. In the event the shareholders cannot agree with a specified time frame to effectuate a sale, then the agreement should specify the condition under which shares might be offered to a third-party purchaser regarding the transfer of shares. 
where a non-disabled shareholder wishes to sell his shares, or where all shareholders wish to sell the shares of the corporation to a third-party purchaser, the agreement should specify as much as practicable the parameters of such sale. It should cover any right of first refusal of the non-offering shareholder to purchase the shares of the selling shareholder, the parameters of that sale, time to accept, the price, the terms of payment. Where there is an intra-shareholder sale, the method of share valuation should be determined, whether it's book value, appraised value, or other method of appraisal. Where there is to be a total offering of shares to a third party, the determination by the shareholders of the offering price and the desired terms of any payment. The terms of distribution of proceeds received, payment of creditors, shareholder distributions. Remember there is a significant difference between an intra-shareholder transfer and offering the shares to a third party. Many potential buyers do not wish to acquire the shares of a corporate business. They wish to purchase the assets, and that of course can affect price, and often debt financing security. The potential borrower might seek to borrow money for the acquisition, wherein the lender would first seek a position, a first position on corporate assets as security, thereby impairing the collateral with respect to the selling shareholder's desire to secure any debt financing, financing they may hold. In other words, a guy takes out a bank loan to buy your shares, and that bank's going to want a first position on the assets as security, which means any money you're financing is going to take a second position and therefore a riskier position. Regarding shareholder death, presumably the shareholders originally came together because of the capital and capabilities they could bring to the corporate enterprise. This is not necessarily the case with their heirs. And when a shareholder dies, significant problems can arise if not planned for in the agreement. With respect to a deceased shareholder, the agreement should cover life insurance as a source of payment to the heirs. Payment to the heirs being full as foreclosing rights of the heirs to corporate ownership management. When partially debt financed, current payments foreclosing their participation in management of the corporation. The payment terms to the heirs and the valuation of the price were not covered by insurance. Litigation often arises when these issues have not been determined in the shareholder agreement and the heirs want to step in not only to acquire the money from the deceased shares, the entitlements, but to take over management duties where they may have no ability or experience to do so. This is a reason that the provision for share transfer upon death of a shareholder must be included in any agreement and the means of financing a buyout of the heirs with respect to review and revision of the agreement. From the above, it is clear that the agreement must deal with a multitude of corporate issues, and given the fact that businesses and business conditions change, the agreement should also have a process by where there is a regular review and where needed a revision of the terms in the agreement. This can be especially important with respect to business valuation and where life insurance is used as a method of payment to heirs. This should be regularly reviewed to reflect the then-current value of the shares. Thus, to enhance corporate survivability and avoid potential destructive litigation, a shareholder's agreement is a key tool for the owners to have from the commencement of operations. Now, to help you to negotiate a shareholder's agreement or any agreement, get a copy of my ebook, Survival Negotiation, Having It Your Way. That's Survival Negotiation, Having It Your Way. Get it from Amazon Kindle. It might be the most profitable $3 you ever spent. Okay, ciao for now. And remember, if you like what you hear, subscribe. Turn your friends on to the podcast. Two new shows each week, Monday and Thursday afternoons in New York. You have been listening to Raw Law. 
where you get the law you can use and the law to amuse. To check out all the past shows, go to rawlawamerica.com. Thanks for listening. That's rawlawamerica.com.